right, all right, all right. Yo, yo. What's going on, Jacob's Well? Hello, hello. That was weak. What's up, Jacob's Well? Good morning. There we go. Much better, much better, much better. My name is Jalen Baker. I serve as the associate pastor here now for about two or three months. And I'm very, very excited, very excited to be here. So church, we are still in our Faithful to the Core series. And we have come to the core identity of seeking justice and mercy. Seeking justice and mercy. This core identity for us has actually been really important because over the last three years, we've been trying to clarify what this identity actually means for us as a church. You know, church, unfortunately, we live in a time where justice has become a signal word, right? It's become a category that can box you into a political party, a political group, a woke group, a non-woke group. And here at the Old Jacob's Well, we're interested in justice becoming a biblical category, a biblical word, right? What does God have to say about justice? Where is his heart on this? And where his heart is, ours will be also, right? So that is what we're after here. So y'all got me for two weeks. It's a back-to-back. They were like, we're going to explore labor. And, but then, you know, no, we just, we just kidding. But the idea here, church, is so today this is what we're going to do. Today we're going to do the why. Why? Why care about justice? And really, what is our theology of justice? That's what we're going to do today. And then next week, I'm excited about next week. Next week is going to be practice. So now that we have this theology, how do we actually practice it in our lives? So we got orthodoxy did today. That's the word we've, been, we've used before. And next week, we're going to get into orthopraxy. Doxy today, praxy next week. Before we dive in, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you, God, for revelation. Thank you, God, for clarity. And Lord, this morning, as we go into your word, into this very weighty topic, God, I pray that you can clear our hearts, clear our minds to receive. And Lord, I do pray that we wrestle with what your word says this morning so that we can become the children that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Amen. So I want to start with this quote that Scott's been using throughout this series from Alistair McIntyre. So he says, I can only answer the question, what I am to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part of. So when it comes to Justice Church, I find that we jump immediately to how are we supposed to do it, what am I supposed to do, right? And we skip this step of actually before I get to the how or the what, I need to answer the question of why. I need to answer the question of why. And I love this quote because Alistair says that one of the main ways we understand the why is by paying attention to what story we're a part of. So this morning, we're going to go through the biblical story and understand how justice plays a role in the Bible. And that's going to be the broad story of how we answer the question, what and how, next week. So what is our foundation? Our foundation, next slide, Tim, is this, the Imago Dei. This is a Latin phrase that is translated the image of God. 
So Chelsea read this morning for us, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. God said that I'm going to create humanity in my image. Now, here's what I love about this. So in the ancient Near Eastern context, when the Bible was written, right, there were other surrounding communities and cultures that also had their own creation myths. The so-called gods of these other cultures created people to just work. They were honestly just slaves, right? But Israel's God does something radically different. When he creates humanity, he says that I'm going to create humanity in such a way to where they're going to resemble me. I'm going to make them in my likeness. I'm going to make them logical beings, capable of making moral choices. I'm going to make them, I'm going to make them in a way that they can love one another and be in right relationship with one another. He makes humanity in a way that resembles himself. Radical idea. So humanity were not tools or chess pieces in the world. No, humanity had a distinct design and purpose. God created him, created us in his image. And what this means for us is this. This means that since God saw fit that we exist, saw fit that we be put on this earth, all of our lives has inherent dignity, worth, and value. Inherent dignity, worth, and value. Now, the Bible continues on. And something goes terribly wrong. God created humanity in this way, but then sin enters into the picture. As we keep reading the Genesis, the Genesis narrative, we understand that our forefather and foremother Adam and Eve committed sin. And because of their decision, sin enters into the world. And now that sin is in the world, we now live in a broken creation, a broken world. And now that image that God created us in has been distorted. It has been distorted by sin that is within us that causes us to rebel against the natural order of things of how God intended. But just because our images have been distorted does not mean it cannot be restored. It, does not, it is not the end of our story. And one of the ways that, one of the primary ways I would say that our image has been distorted throughout all of human civilizations since the beginning of time is through injustice. Injustice. The belief that I am better than somebody else because of anything. Race, gender, class, anything. We come up with reasons to say that I am better than so that we can feel better about ourselves. Right? This is the story of humanity. And because of this, unjust systems are created to substantiate that claim. Now, the question becomes, what is God's response to this? How does God call us to live in such a world? But I want to start there. The Imago Dei. The reason we care about justice 
is because we care about restoring the dignity and value of people in our communities in this world that has been distorted because of injustice. We do not believe that someone is lesser than or inferior because of anything. Because we are one in Christ, because all of us were created in God's image, we're all equal. And therefore, we should live in an equal world. I want to give you an example. I want to take you, give you a little church history here. So there is something called the Slave Bible. Next slide, Sam, Tim. So the Slave Bible was created and used in the 18th and 19th centuries. This Bible was used by Christian missionaries delivering the gospel, delivering the Bible to the Caribbean islands. And what was interesting about this edited version of the Bible is that they did not want to incite rebellion or, 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 or they did not want to incite rebellion or any kind of revolt among enslaved people. So they took things out of the Bible, like Exodus, right? Like Galatians, like, like, like the passage in Galatians. There's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no slave, there's no free, right? Literally. They took these things out of the Bible to substantiate that you are a slave because God said you're a slave, right? But it was a lie. So enslaved people, even in this country, would receive this Bible. And they would emphasize enslavers, Ephesians 6, slave, obey your masters, do your thing. This is your natural position. But, oh, God, in his infinite wisdom, there was a flaw in the design of this plan. Can I tell you what it is? Next slide, Tim. They forgot to take out Genesis 1. They didn't take out Genesis 1, y'all. So when they were reading the Bible to these enslaved people, they read Genesis 1. And these enslaved folks were like, wait a minute. This is fascinating. So this God that you say is the most powerful being in the universe, this God, that you say is the ruler of all things, you're reading Genesis 1 to me, and you're saying that this God created all human beings in his image? All human beings? That means me too. So, what enslaved people began, they began to see through the lie. This is not the whole picture that you're giving to me. There's something off with this, right? What I love about this, too, is that enslaved people began to affirm their own human dignity through the lens of the Bible. And in this country, I want to share this with you. In the 18th and 19th centuries, enslaved people would escape into the woods and they would hold secret prayer meetings. These secret services would come to be known as the invisible institution. Because enslavers understood that when enslaved people understood what the real Bible actually was, they would have, they, they would have the audacity to, 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 to claim that they are full human beings worthy of equal rights with us. And we can't have that. So the enslaved would escape into the woods, and they would pray, sing, and preach the true Bible that they were hearing, and they would have their dignity affirmed in their own space. 
and they did this under consistent threat of being beaten, flogged, killed at times. But they were also saying that it's worth the risk. Because we live in a world that spells out with brutal clarity that we are worthless human beings. And we know this is not so. So therefore, we need to create a space where we can hear the true nature of the gospel, the true words of the Bible, so that we can affirm that we are somebody, even though the world says that we're not. And I love this because they, they, this, this is what they would do. They would literally, they would literally hang quilts that were thoroughly wet, wetted. They would wet these quilts, hang them, hang, hang them in a, in a straight line, and they would sing, pray, and preach. So, and, and, and they did this, and they did this so that, they, so that the sounds of their voices could not penetrate the air. They also would escape into the woods. They would get on their knees in a circle. The preacher would be in the middle of the circle, and he would preach into, the, into a vessel of water so that their voices would not escape that environment. They came up with all of these secret and innovative devices and strategies just so that they could affirm that we are human beings created in the image of God. Right? The Imago Day allows us to have this robust foundation and starting point that we care about the suffering, the vulnerable, the unjust, because we believe that we're all created in the image of the most powerful being in the world. I want to give you this. This is Alice Sewell. She's a formerly enslaved person who gave an interview in, 19, I believe it was in 1936. I want you to listen to her words here. This is an excerpt, and I want you to listen to how she talked about the Invisible Institution. She said, we used to slip off in the woods in the old slave days on Sunday evening, way down in the swamp, to sing and pray to our own liking. We prayed for this day of freedom. We come from four and five miles away to pray together to God that if we don't live to see it, do please let our children live to see a better day and be free so that they can give honest and fair service to the Lord. Church, can I say something? Our genuine prayer at Jacob's Well is that we can be an answered prayer to Alice Sewell. Our genuine prayer is that those who feel marginalized, oppressed by the world, that they can come into this space. Because Alice is dreaming and praying for a world where the invisible institution does not have to exist where people can come to the church and the church can simply be the church. They can feel affirmed. They can feel, they can, they, they, they can feel like they, they, they can feel affirmed. Their dignity, their dignity can be restored. And Alice is saying that I want all our children one day to come to church, be free, have their dignity affirmed. Why? So that they can give honest and fair service to the Lord. That's wild. And we want to be that church. For anyone who's not feeling affirmed by the world, you come to this space. You come to this place. And you hear the gospel preached thoroughly, 
and, and, and preach thoroughly and fully and say, you know, I am somebody because God says I'm somebody. And, you know, church, I want to say that this history is not simply a black story or black history. It's a Christian story, and it's Christian history. These are our foremothers and our forefathers. We look back to them and say, yo, if they were able to affirm their very lives in that environment, I can do the same here. If I fix my eyes, shift my focus on the words of God, and let God's word be the predominant thing that informs my life, I can make it. I can survive. Because they survived. They gave us the blueprint and the roadmap that if God's word is at the center of my life, I will always feel affirmed, dignified, because God says I am. Right? The invisible institution is such a remarkable example of how powerful the Imago Dei is. Even when you live in a world that spells it out, that you're nothing. When God says you're something, the Holy Spirit gets to working within you, you create these spaces, and now you can live a free existence in Christ because of what God has said. The Imago Dei is our foundation. I want to shift now to systemic injustice. Uh-oh, is that a bad word? <laughs> Systematic racism, systematic sexism, systematic classism, systematic injustice, right? Another signal word. We've been taught in so many churches that when these kinds of words get said, it means that we're going a certain way. And again, here at Jacob's Well, we like to look at what does the Bible have to say? We're not aiming to be some party, not aiming to be some group. We're we're aiming to be simply people of the book, people of the word. So what does the Bible have to say? Let's 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 go to Amos. So Amos is a really cool book. I love Amos. So just to give you a little bit of context here, Amos... In Amos, God sends the prophet Amos to send judgment to the northern kingdom of Israel because the northern kingdom of Israel had experienced a lot of prosperity, right? And what they did with this prosperity was they literally funneled all of the resources and money to the top, and they began to oppress the poor. So the poor was being exploited. The poor was being oppressed, and God had something to say about this. Let's, let's look at it. Amos chapter 5, verse, we pick it up at verse, four, verse 14. He says, oh, can you go to the, the, to the, to the uh, last slide, Tim? There we go, right there, boom, there we go. Here, like, verse 11, I'm sorry. This is, this is what God says through Amos. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, oh, by the way, before I do this, I've entered into my highlighting scripture era. I just want y'all, I, I just want y'all to catch that. I just want y'all to catch that. Okay, I don't, I, this is not what I usually do, but peer pressure is a heck of a thing. Here we, so, here, so here we are. So here we are. All right, here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going this time. Therefore, 
Because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you, have, but you shall not dwell in them. You have built pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. Catch this. Catch it. Catch it. You trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him. What is God doing? He's making a systemic critique. He ain't coming for a person. He's coming for a system. You have built an unjust system that is trampling on the poor. This ain't an individual sin. It's a systemic sin. Biblical category. Let's let's keep going. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your what? Sins. What is he doing? Systemic injustice equals what? Sin. When you exploit people through an unjust system, you're sinning. Spiritual category. Not a political category. Not a social category. Spiritual. Why is it spiritual? Let's keep going. There are those who oppress the innocent, take bribes, and deprive the poor of what? Justice in the courts. Another system. One more system. God ain't playing with y'all. Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time for it is even time. So those who want to speak up, those who want to actually wait, who actually want to wage a systemic critique of the society, they keep silent. Because when they speak up, they are silenced. They're silenced. Right? Let's keep going, Tim. Next one. Watch this. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Oh, I love this here. I love this. I love this. Can I tell you why? God is saying, see, what I love about the gospel and the Bible is that Jesus, the Son, God, the Father, always challenges our notions of what it really means to to experience true life. He challenges our notion of, of, of what it means to really be alive. He's saying, you think what? You think you know how to be alive, but I really know. Why? Because I created you in my image. And God is saying that you will not live a full life as long as you are committing injustice. It's bad for your soul. It ain't good for you. It may be good for your pocketbook. It may be good for, for your selfish pride. But those things fade away. But my word stays true at all times. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Therefore, the Lord will be with you, just as you say is God ain't playing. You say I'm with you. I ain't really with you because you're doing evil things. Let's keep going. Hate evil. No, I'm sorry. sorry. Go, go back to him. Go back to him. I, I won't finish this yet. Go back to him. Hate evil. Love good. Maintain justice in the courts. System. I just got to keep saying it. I ain't making it up. I ain't making it up. System. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. All right, y'all. If y'all thought that was intense, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Y'all ready? Let's go, Tim. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies, assemblies are a stench to me. Y'all better stop playing with God. I hate it. 
Even though you bring burnt offerings and great offerings to me, I will not accept them. My God, though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. I love this one right here. The noise of your songs. Y'all can't sing. Y'all sound awful. Y'all sound like Alicia Keys at the Super Bowl. Crack it up. The noise of your songs. Sorry, Alicia, I didn't mean to do that to you. I'm going to send you a cough drop. The noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your hearts. I had to put a little joke in there because we, we've been intense. But do y'all see this? God hates injustice. Can I be clear? He hates systemic injustice. So when you hear us say systemic injustice, we ain't talking about no MSNBC political poll. We ain't talking about no democratic woke signaling. We talking about the Bible. We're talking about a God who looks out on his creation and he does not like it when his children are deprived of justice. He hates it. He hates it. It is a stench to him. And he goes so far to say that when you gather in spaces like this and you practice injustice, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. I want y'all to hear these very emphatic terms because this is why as a church we feel it is important for us to have a robust theology and practice of justice because we want our hearts to be where God's heart is. And this is where God's heart is. This is where it is. Now, he does end on a high note, like he usually does. Next slide, Tim. But let justice roll on like a river. You are my people. You know who I am. You know what I'm about. I delivered you from Israel. No, um, I delivered you from Egypt. My B. I delivered you from Egypt. So you know justice. You know what it feels like to be exploited. So I need you to embody the practice that I had with you. Let justice roll on like a river, like this one too righteousness, like I never felt in the You know what I like righteousness? God is saying that righteousness, holiness, to live a righteous lifestyle, to live a holy lifestyle, is to embody justice. Right? Again, spiritual category. I want you to see how God is collapsing these things. These are not separate things to God. They're all spiritual. They're spiritual. Righteousness, holiness equals the embodiment of justice, right? The embodiment of justice. I want to take you to a, a quote here. This is Dennis Edwards. He's a wonderful New Testament scholar. I want to read this for us. I think, I think Dennis captures something that we all can, 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 can put our finger on in some ways. This is what he says. He said that we've been taught that sin's enslavement was evident only in our shortcomings, our failure to measure up to a holy standard because we keep missing the mark. I'm sorry. This sound familiar? 
This is what we grew up with, right? What is sin? Missing the mark. Very individualized, right? Sin is very individual, personal. I'm failing. I'm flawed. Me, 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 me. Sin is individual. And here's the thing. It is. It definitely is. So we're going to keep reading Dr. Edwards. He says, but sin is more than this. It goes beyond our personal failures and shortcomings. Sin is an all-encompassing, cosmos-permeating, creation-destroying force animated by Satan. Sin is the evil that infiltrates the entire world. It energizes oppressive structures like fascism, racism, and patriarchy because sin in all its evil ways enslaves humanity, which is why humanity needs a savior a savior that can set them free. <laughs> you see why it's spiritual now? So when Jesus comes to set us free from sin, he's coming to set us free from that rebellious thing that causes human beings to oppress other people. Broken systems are created by broken people. So therefore, broken people need, saved, need to be saved. And the savior is Jesus the Christ. But this is important because we have to understand and realize that sin cannot simply be confined to our lack of measuring up. It's a part of it, for sure. But it also has to include the particular ways in which we have been informed by the world and its brokenness and how we can then treat people because of how the world has taught us to treat people. We can't be thoughtlessly disengaged. Can't be. Live in a broken world, which means that we can say broken things and have broken attitudes toward other people. It doesn't make us this evil Ku Klux Klan racist. It doesn't make this misogynist, patriarchal, sexist. It makes us sinners. It makes us sinners who are in need of a savior. So the reason why we are engaged in these kinds of issues is because we want those around us, particularly those who are historically marginalized and oppressed, we want them around us to always feel affirmed because the world is telling them in so many different ways that they are not enough. They are not worthy. But see, Christian and child of God, it is our duty as a part of our faith that when people come into our orbit, that they always feel affirmed, that they always feel dignified as children of God, even when the world is telling them that they are not enough. We don't want to be a part of the problem. We want to be a part of the solution. But the only way we, we be, we're a part of that solution is if we're thoughtfully engaged in understanding our own role and how we can be oppressive to somebody else. Not because we're these, you know, evil, lynching people, but because we're sinners. We're sinners. And we need salvation. We need to be remade and reformed. Surprise for you this morning. I have a video I want to show y'all. Can you believe that? A video. So I want to show you this video. This video is really cool. This is probably the best documentary about the civil rights movement that I think I've ever seen. So I highly recommend it. It's called King in the Wilderness. 
So literally, this, this documentary gets together, brings together Martin Luther King's closest friends. They're, they're very old now. And they literally talk about his life. They talk about his life and their lives in the movement. So I'm going to show you a two-minute clip. And this video is going to be a tease of where we're going next week. So I ain't going to tease it for you right now. I'll tease it for you after the video. So Tim, let's pull up the video. Oh, boy, look at that thing. Sorry, y'all. It, start, it starts on this image. This is, it's, it's a lot. But don't worry. We, we, it's going to get right past it. All right, Tim, let's, let's play the video. Police of Chicago said that your civil rights tactics have aroused hatred among Chicago white residents and are hampering the Negroes' progress. There is no doubt about the fact that there are many latent hostilities existing within certain white groups in the North. And these latent hostilities have come out in the open, and I don't think you can blame the civil rights movement for that. Uh, certainly no one would blame a physician for using his instruments and his know-how to reveal to a patient that he has cancer. Now, we have only revealed in Chicago that there is a blatant social hate-filled cancer. And what we are trying to get rid of is hate. Nonviolence had the power to pull the worst thief out of them and show our moral strength. They had to stick me at the Bible. I remember this one young lady came up to Dr. King just spitting in his face, calling him all kinds of names. And he said, you know, you're much too beautiful to be so mean. Why don't you go home and act like adult people? And when we came back through there, she came out of the crowd again and went up to him and said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I never should have been so rude. The nonviolent approach is radical. Radical enough to believe that under the worst conditions, there's hope. radical enough to believe that people who display some of the most insensitive kind of attitudes can be changed. The ultimate goal is to win your opponents over. So you have to psychologically disarm them. You confront your opponent and you look your opponent in the eyes so they will not see you as a target but as a human being. So you are forcing your humanity on them. Mic check. We back? We back. Check this out, church. So I love Jesse Jackson at the beginning of that video. He says that nonviolence, right, brought the worst out of them while we got the chance to demonstrate our moral strength. They had to stick. We had to bite. Our weapon against hatred was the Bible and not a stick. What I hope you hear in this church is that what's underneath the nonviolent strategy is the command to love one's enemies. Right? The civil rights movement, as, we, as, as most of us know, was a Christian movement. It gained its tactics from the Bible. And what King and, and, and his contemporaries genuinely believed is that love has the power to transform our opponent. 
our enemy. And you saw a little example of that in the video. Andrew Young said that this woman came up to King, spit in his face, called him all kind of names. And what does King say? He says, you are so beautiful to be letting those kind of vitriolic words come out of that beautiful face. And, 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 like, and like Bernard said at the end, it psychologically disarmed her. She saw King in a different light than she may have been raised to see a black person, that she may have been socialized to see. Love went through all of that stuff, and she saw him as a human being. That's powerful. So we have to begin to ask ourselves the questions as a community here. How can we use the Bible as the ultimate weapon to embody justice? And that'll be next week. Y'all ready to hear it right now? You can come back, come back next week. Come back next week. But I really want you to hear that. Hear, hear, hear that in the video, right? And as you saw those, those, those terrible signs, as Bernard is talking at the end, he said that we had to force our humanity onto them. We had to force our Imago Day onto them. We had to show them that when you hit us, we get bruised. When you stab us, we bleed. When you punch us, we get a black eye. We're human beings. And we're not going to fight you back because we want you to see that when you terrorize a human being, it has the most terrible effects on that person. And, my pray and our prayer is once you see that, you will see what you're doing to a fellow human being. They had the stick. We got the Bible. Next week, we're going to think through our practice, right? Now, just to put you at ease, we ain't going to ask you to be the civil rights movement. We ain't going to ask you to march in the street. We ain't going to ask you to wage a revolution. We're going to simply ask you, think about where you are in your life, the communities that you are a part of, where you go. And we're going to ask you to think through how can you, where you are in the sphere of influence that you have, embody justice. We're going to give you categories for this. We're going to give you examples of this. And our prayer next week is that you're going to go home today and next week, quite honestly, and really think through, how can I embody the Bible? How can I embody what God calls me to do in this particular area of my life? An area that helps me achieve holiness and righteousness. As the worship team comes back up. Our prayer today is that we have illuminated with crystal clarity that justice is a biblical category, and that since it is a biblical category, we're called to embody it in many ways. So we're going to come now to the table. And you know, the table where we receive the Lord's Supper is one of the ultimate demonstrations of justice. Jesus took upon himself our sins, our debt, 
and says that they cannot overcome this obstacle on their own, so I will do it for them. He took on an injustice so that we could live in a just world, spiritually. And today we remember that. We remember that when Jesus goes to that cross, his body was broken for us. We remember that when Jesus goes to that cross, when they stabbed him in his hand and stabbed him in his feet, his blood was poured out for us. Body broken so that we can endure and navigate a broken world. Blood was poured out so that we can be washed of our sin and live a true and genuine Christ-like lifestyle, fully and boldly. So we come to remember this glorious sacrifice, a sacrifice that puts us and lands us here, and without it, we would not be here. So there is a gluten-free option in the middle here, and it's regular options on, 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 on the right and the left. We ask you to come now, and the, and the scriptures are very clear that if you're not a Christian, don't participate in this sacred ritual that we all partake in as children of God and as followers of Christ. So we come now, and before we come, I'm going I'm to lead in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word, for the gift of your word, for the revelation of your word. And Lord, we genuinely do pray that you teach us your ways, teach us your principles, teach us your words, God, so that we can embody you and what you stand for fully, authentically, and boldly. God, we can't say enough how much we need you. We're desperate for you. We yearn for you. And without you, we're absolutely nothing. So God, we come to the table, and I pray, God, that you just lead us in our thoughts, lead us in our worship, lead us as we reflect, so that we can truly leave this place thinking about how can we become more diligent seekers of you? We need you, God. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.